Let me try it again. How's your heart? If for some reason you were having some chest pains or you felt your heart beating abnormally or racing or anything of the sort, you'd ask that question in your mind, if not out loud. How's my heart? There's a lot of ways physically that we um, can look at our hearts. If you go to a doctor, a cardiologist, there's a couple things they might do. The one is called an uh, EKG, and that is a method of hooking up, and perhaps I've had this done, perhaps you have, where they paste some things over your chest, and, and they hook you up to wires and machine, and it, it tests rhythms and, and, and listens for different things to see what's going on, to see if there's any abnormality. And then um, there's another one called an echocardiogram. And that's uh, an ultrasound, uh, ultrasound machine, much like that is used when you're, uh, a woman is pregnant and looking to see the baby. The doctor uses that with your heart also to get an idea if the picture of your heart, to look and see what's really going on. Those two are relatively painless, except for when they rip those things off your chest. That's not very fun. But besides that, it's relatively painless. But there's another one, and there's a lot more too, but there's another one that is very common. It's painful. It's called a stress test. Now, how many of you have had a stress test before? It's okay. All right, yeah. I, I have too. It's been years ago. And a stress test, they either put you on a, a, a bike, a stationary bike, or they put you on a treadmill. The machine of death, maybe you want to call it. Because this is no walk in the park. This is, no, this is not a, casually, a casual stroll on a bike. They ramp it up. And literally on the treadmill, they ramp it up. And you are working because they want to get your heart to a point that it is beating fast and working hard and seeing if that stress on your heart and, and on your body to see if your heart is performing the way it needs to. Now, some people in that test have realized how out of shape they are. <laughs> Me included. But the point of any of those tests is to answer the question, how's your heart? Jesus' words here in Matthew, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's already talked about those who will, who will be blessed when they do these things. And then he's talked about that we are to be the salt and the light. We are to, uh, we are to witness to the world and then he comes, as if not stirring up enough already, he comes into these verses and he gives us a spiritual heart test. When those people came up on that mount, they'd heard about Jesus some, and some had begun to follow him like those, those disciples very closely. Others were just curious. And the Beatitudes have a lot of appeal to them. And so I imagine that crowd grew some as he was sharing about what it meant to be blessed. 
And then even perhaps a little bit, hey, we are to be the salt and the light. I mean, if, if there's a portion of this early part of the Sermon on the Mount that's like a pep talk, that's it. Well, things change. And Jesus begins to sift through all that they know. All that they've known as Jewish people, as well as the Gentiles know the Jewish people are like. And so, what does he talk about? He talks about the law. In verse 17, it speaks of the law and the prophets. Basically, understand that is the entire Old Testament. New Testament wasn't written at this time. But the Old Testament, not only the law of Moses, but all the teaching of the minor and the major prophets... So if you look at that verse, verse 17, Jesus talks about, um, I guess they're not in a room, so maybe it's the elephant on the hill instead of the elephant in the room. And he says, you all think from what you've heard so far that I'm here to abolish all that was taught before, all that you've known, all that you've learned. He says, I'm not. But what I am here to do is I'm here to fulfill it. What's that mean? I'm sure they're asking. Jesus came, Jesus spoke these words because he began to paint a picture for them that was very different than all that they knew. And because many of them, if not most of them, thought that he was there to get rid of the law, he wanted to take a moment and he wanted to say, now let me just tell you what I'm really going to do. But before I do that, what I want to do is let me talk about the law for a minute. He said the law had a purpose. The law has a purpose, and it's good. And if you look at verse 18, what you see in this verse is that he takes the Old Testament, the law, all of the prophets, everything in between, and he lifts it up. He lifts the authority of it up, and he says, let me tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, in other words, it's here to stay. It is not going anywhere. Because it's authoritative, it is from God, it's inspired, and it is here to stay. And let me also tell you, Jesus says, is that every single part of it, all the way from the biggest mark to the smallest mark, the jot and tittle, one translation says, every little detail, like the dot of an eye, or the difference in our language between the letter P and the letter R. It's that one little slanted 45 degree angle mark. Every part of it will come to fulfillment. And every part of it is valid. So if you people on the hill have any doubt that I, Jesus, he says, am here to get rid of this, I'm telling you I'm not. Because it is the law that will be fulfilled in me. Well, I'm sure there were some mixed emotions by this point. Because there's a sense of, oh, whew, he's not getting rid of the law. That's really good. Because for a Jewish person, the Jewish person, it was their identity. Everything they learned, everything that they were taught, both with civil law, ceremonial law, moral law, all came from the the, the Old Testament. So everything they knew in how to be Jewish, how to follow God, came from that. And so if Jesus was to come in and say, hey, I'm getting rid of that, it, it would completely destroy everything 
that they understood that life was about. So he says, I'm not here to do that. That's good. But I am here to fulfill it in a different way. Well, Jesus, you just said that that you're not here and that this law is a really good thing. It's how we follow God. And he says, but you're not. Here's where the heart test comes in. Here's where they're asking the question, how's my heart? I don't know, but I'm following the law. I'm doing all that I've been asked to do, or trying at least. And doesn't that count for something? Look in verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Probably didn't strike them too much, those comments, because they were taught to obey the law. They were taught to follow all of the commandments, not just the ten, but to follow all of the laws set up for them. They were good, disciplined people. But Jesus begins to allude to something. He begins to allude in this statement that you're not doing it right. He says two words, practices and teaches. And he also alludes to the fact that every part of the law is important. And unless you obey every single part of it, you're missing. You're missing out. For us, we see this in in the New Testament in James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So they're thinking about this in their mind and and begin to wonder and begin to think about their own heart and saying, but I don't follow everything. Nobody can follow everything. You can imagine what stirs in their hearts and their minds. In fact, I don't think we have to imagine because we all feel it, don't we? You ever felt like, well, I just don't, I just don't, I'm just not good enough for God, or I just don't do enough for God, or that Christian is so much better than me, or I'm not even a Christian yet, and I'm just trying to figure out who God is. And, and all the while, it just chops away at us, and it just removes all that's intended for the law to do. The law was never intended to just simply be a set of rules. And Jesus begins to address that. He begins to help us see that the law was to be so much more. The law was to lead us to the God that created us and the God we serve and worship. But when he begins to talk about practices and teaches, what happens is that he's actually saying, you're not doing this. Think about the Pharisees. Yeah, those people that we never want to be alike, but I'm afraid we're a lot more alike than we ever want to admit. Because they took the law. But what the Pharisees were so good at doing, and it was different than practices and teaches, is that they learned it and then they told everybody what to do. They said, this is the law and we are going to excel at it externally. And when people see us, they're going to say, wow, they have so got it figured out. 
even if we don't follow all of the little things. But what was happening is, as Jesus speaks here, he says, wait a minute, you've kind of got this out of order. In fact, you do. You, you, you want to learn and then you want to tell people what to do. What I'm telling you is that you must practice it. Now, any good believing Christ follower, follower of God, recognizes for us to practice it, we have to know it. It doesn't just magically happen one day that we're following God or doing that in the way that we should. No, what happens is that we learn, don't we? When we accept Christ, we don't know a lot of what it means to follow Christ, but we begin to learn what it means to worship God and serve God. We start to figure it out up here. Now, I know we don't want to admit, I don't want to admit this, but it's happened to me. It happens to me. Somewhere along the way, we begin to interpret things differently. And we get enough up here, and we've done enough Bible studies, and we've done enough uh, other things that we begin to start raising up certain parts of following God that become more important than other parts. And so in our book, when anybody asks us, well, you got to do this. Well, what about this? you got to do this. Now, I understand we've all had experiences. I understand that we have all had things that have spoke deeply to us in our life as we followed God and submitted our life to Jesus Christ. But I will tell you, one of the temptations, the longer we know Jesus, the longer we follow Jesus, the longer we are part of, of the church of God, is what happens is we can take the faith that was the source the only source of committing to Jesus Christ and turn it into law. When you look at those words, practice and teach, it doesn't say pick one. It says do them both. It says don't switch them around, do them both. But how often do we live out our lives? Perhaps our witness becomes you got to do this rather than I'm going to do this. Jesus was on to something. Jesus wasn't there just to beat him up. As I share these words with you, my role and responsibility is not to beat you up. What Jesus gets to, and I think we have, I don't think, I know we have to continue to address as the people of God. You have to address this individually. You have to address it as a body. We have to dress it as a body, as the church. And that is, how's our heart? You go into a stress test or an echocardiogram or an electro, an EKG, I'll say it that way. You have to take your heart with you, don't you? You can't go in and pretend to run the treadmill without a heart. You won't make it there. You, you can't go to your doctor and say, hey, I've come in for a moment today. Just Can you kind of give me an idea about how my heart's doing? Did you bring it? Oh, no, I left it at home. It's ridiculous to even think about it. It's impossible for us to even go there. It's not physically impossible. That's what Jesus is getting at spiritually. He is saying to all of those around him, don't you dare follow God without your heart. In fact, You've been trying and you can't do it. Look at verse 20. 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Pharisees in that day were like the model example of what it meant to be a Jewish person following God. In fact, even for Gentiles and all others around, they all knew that the Pharisees were like the experts at the law. And they all knew that they followed the law really, really well. You see, the Pharisees had them snowed. Because externally, outwardly, demonstratively, is that the Pharisees looked good. But what Jesus saw And probably, I would imagine, some others suspected. I don't know that they've got it all together like they think they do. And so this, think about a field that you may work in. Think about um, a a community citizen. It's somebody who's really good and, and kind of lifted up as somebody who's really got it figured out. They may be an expert in your field. They may be the the model citizen in this community or a community that you're a part of. And imagine somebody coming in and saying, you know what? Um, They don't got what it it takes. In fact, if you you want to follow God, then you got to do better. Your righteousness, your rightness with God has to surpass, has to be greater, has to be more than what the Pharisees are doing. Think about role models in your life. Think about somebody that you look up to because of who they are. And Jesus comes in and says, yeah, that's essentially what this was like. Now for the Pharisees, I'm sure they were ticked off. Because Jesus was threatening everything that they knew. But for everybody else, confusion reigned. Because Jesus was saying that they are not as committed as they look. Now, in these verses, Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time elaborating. In fact, we're going to start next week, and we're going to move into six different examples of what Jesus is talking about here in terms of pharisaical righteousness and then Christ-centered righteousness. And and so we're going to dig through those. But for us today, I want to go back to this last verse, and I want us to think for just a moment about how our heart is. I would imagine, and I feel pretty confident in saying this, is that whether you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've made that commitment to Him, or you are someone who is searching and you've Maybe you just came into this church today and you're like, you know, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder what God is doing. I wonder who God is. I wonder how I can know God. And so you came here. That Great. Wonderful. That's what the church should be. But no matter where you are, anywhere on that spectrum, is that we have to ask ourselves, how's our heart? Those of you who are Christ followers, let me just address you for a minute. It's so easy for us to think our heart is fine because we've already accepted Christ. I'm not denying that Jesus 
imputes righteousness. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm not denying that the work of Christ in our heart initially is a work that endures forever. It is. But there's something that happens in us. There's something, there's this sinful tendency. I see it in my own life where I want to keep going back to the law. And here I know that the law doesn't do it. The law cannot be fulfilled. I am imperfect. I am sinful. I cannot do all that the law says to do. I know that. But one of the most frustrating things about following Jesus is that I keep wanting to turn to that. So you say, well, how do you do that? Well, I start saying that, well, this is how we should do this. This is how, this is really the way. This is, this, this, these, this is what it looks like to be a Christian here. And this look, looks like what it means to be a Christian. And we have to do these methods and we have to do these ways. I don't ever want to, and I hope I don't, I don't seek to change the Word of God. But what the law can do in us, even as Christ followers, is that the longer we follow Jesus, is that we begin to interpret the specifics of what it means to be a Christian in method. And church, we've got to be careful. Because what happens is we lose our heart. What happens is everything that we do, every ministry, every program, every discipleship, every mentoring, everything that happens becomes this, 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 this. How's that? You came to church and your pastor is beating himself on the head. But we do it. Thanks, David, for laughing. They didn't laugh, but you did. I appreciate that. I love you. None of us want to admit this. None of us want to admit that we are trying to follow the law and earn our way. I'm guilty too. And I know Jesus has saved me. And I believe in him. And I believe in the righteousness that he has given me. But I'll tell you, it's tempting to turn this faith in Jesus Christ and turn it away from here and just do it here. How's my heart? My heart's a little weary right now. My heart's weary because sometimes I feel like the harder I fight in this spiritual battle, the tougher it becomes. Sometimes I feel like I get so off track with things that should not distract me. Sometimes I know that my schedule gets the best of me. All very good things. So my heart's a little weary. How's your heart? I don't doubt that your commitment to God is there. But when Jesus shares these verses, we have to ask the question, where's our heart? Have we in any way become like the Pharisees? In Luke 18, who stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. None of us want to admit to it, but we're tempted. We're tempted to be that kind of Christian. This church has not been known for those types of Christians, but I'll tell you what, every one of us has struggled in this area. Not 
fasting necessarily, but turning what is here into here. And I'll tell you what happens when we do that, church. What happens is we become divided. What happens is we become self-centered on what we want instead of what God wants. Now that's not for me to solely determine. That's for us as a body determined together. But I have to ask you today, how's your heart? How is your heart? We know that our belief in Jesus Christ has given us a righteousness that far surpasses the Pharisees. Look at Romans 10, 3 and 4 on the screen. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, primarily uh, referring to anyone who's chosen not follow God, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So what's this really mean? What this means is that when we go back to the law, we will never follow God appropriately because we will never fulfill the law apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and died because he can and has fulfilled the law. He's able to accomplish everything the law intended to bring people closer to God. And so the only way that we can fulfill the law is to follow Jesus Christ. Again, I would never, if anyone ever asked me, I would never have a tendency to say, or even an urging to say, well, I'm not following Jesus, or Jesus' righteousness is no longer good enough for me. Absolutely not. It's always good for me. It's always good for anybody who commits their life to Him. But do I ignore it? Or do I seek to earn it? Because that's where I struggle. Trying harder never helped anybody spiritually. Yeah, we have responsibility. We have actions and steps we have to take. But trying harder often is all about the mind and not about the heart. How's your heart? Are you in a season where you feel embittered because people have beaten you down how's your heart are you in a season where life is just crazy and busy and work is demanding family responsibilities are demanding and you you keep trying harder and the more you try the more difficult it gets how's your heart are you a father and a husband And you're seeking to lead your family. And if it would be known in secret, you feel like you don't have a clue of how to do that. But yet, you continue to try to create a law of your own and do certain things with the best of intentions. But all the while, your heart shrinks because you know, and you know God knows, that your heart's not there. How's your heart? grandmothers and grandfathers. You see children and grandchildren that you've helped raise and you are so discouraged right now because people that you have loved and you've invested not only your faith, but you've invested and built a life that is good and yet you've watched them walk away from the one who gave you all that you had and that you've acknowledged. And you're discouraged 
This isn't the way it's supposed to work out, is it? I thought I did everything that I could do. I have no doubt you did. How's your heart? Philippians 3, 8 and 9 on the screen. Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basics of faith. Young people, this world is a scary place and you know it. You just don't want to admit it. You're this close to walking away from God and you're just waiting until you graduate and get out of your parents' house so that you can decide to live your life how you want to live it. How is your heart? When our hearts aren't right with God, we get caught up in the law. We get caught up in telling others what to do or suggesting that our way is the only way. Now, Jesus is the only way. And so I want to challenge you as we close out our worship. And I want to challenge you. And I, I know I give you assignments from time to time. But I'll tell you, this assignment is perhaps more important than assignment than we've ever had. I want you to do a heart test this week. I want you to go back and I want you to read over this passage of Scripture. And I want you to truly ask yourself, before God, no one else, before God, I want you to ask yourself, how's my heart? Is it weary? Is it burdened? Is it frightened? Is it bitter? Is it angry? Because I'll tell you, if any of those things apply to you, then you are wanting to hold on to the law. You're wanting to make this walking with Jesus Christ just about this, 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 and this. Things you do here and not giving here. What I know about my God, what I know about my Jesus, is that He wants to hear everything you've got to say. But I tell you, this is where we as a church have to have a heart test. You know me well enough that I am not interested in us creating our own law at ECOB. And so the things we do, whether it be worship, a name, whether it be a ministry choice, whether it be a a vision for leadership, I will tell you that our hearts have to be in it. And I know that's going to be hard. It's already hard. It's hard to do because it pushes us in places that we don't want to expose our hearts. If we are to accomplish all that God has for us as a church and to be the people of God that He has designed us to be, our hearts better be in it. And so I'm going to challenge you to take a piece of paper this week and read Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And I want you just to write out before God, if he doesn't have your heart, if if your heart is weak 
for whatever reason than you put on that paper. Why? And then you ask God to renew your heart. I'm going to do that, and I hope you do too. And I pray, and I will praise God alongside of you if nothing is on that side of your heart being weary or burdened or embittered. Praise God, because you didn't do that on your own. He did it. But for those of us where weariness or other things have set in, let's be praying for each other. Let's be praying for our church family. Because if we can't get this, we won't get much. If we can't lay our hearts together before God, He will divide us. He will create battles where the enemy will win. Because that's the enemy's objective. And while God doesn't want to see that with us, when our hearts are not before God, our hearts or our minds are on the law. And so I ask that you lay your heart before God. And I ask that you commit and renew your heart, your commitment, and get get away, give away everything that's holding you back. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the righteousness which has been given. Thank you for what Jesus has done for us. God, have mercy on us. May our hearts be open and transparent before you. And we know from the promise of your word, you will draw us together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.